Hey everybody, this is Keith Loy. I'm the founding senior pastor of Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us, and it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. Now let me just say, happy Father's Day. That's what it is to me. See, I, I know that you might think, oh, Pastor, you've lost it, that we, we've got a couple months yet. No, we don't. My Bible says, for God, the Father, so loved the world that he gave us the Son. This is an amazing Father's Day, if you know the Father. Because to really understand the Son, we need to know the Father. The story about God who so loved, who saw us in our sin, in all of our messes, and said, listen, I got a solution to the problem. And he would give us Jesus. So happy Father's Day. And in light of that, I'm going to help you with it a little bit. I, I thought it'd be appropriate to give you the top 10 things you'll never hear your father say. Is that okay? Now, I'm bringing this quickly to the earthly father. But here's number 10. Well, how about that? I'm lost. Looks like we're going to have to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> Here's number nine. You know, pumpkin, you're 13 today. I think you're ready for an unchaperoned car date. <laughs> number eight. I noticed that all your friends have a certain hostile attitude about them. I really like that. <laughs> number seven. Here, dear, here's my credit card. Here's the keys to my new car. Now get out there and shop till you drop. <laughs> Number six, what do you mean you want to play football? Be a man. Try figure skating. <laughs> Number five, you know, your mother and I are going to be gone, gone away for the weekend. I think it's a good weekend for you to throw a party. <laughs> Number four, I don't know what's wrong with your car. Probably one of those doohickey, thingamajiggy things that makes it run or something. Just have it towed and pay whatever they want. Here's number three. No son of mine's going to live under this roof without an earring. <laughs> number two. Trust me, you'll never hear this one. Why do you want to get a job? I make plenty of money for all of us. And number one, I know it's the Super Bowl. Let's not watch it. Let's watch like Sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> but here's the deal. I love being a dad. I love being a dad. Despite the fact, yeah, there are some down moments. There's, there's some of those moments that, boy, we, we wish could have happened a little differently. But I'll tell you, there's a whole lot more ups than downs. There's a whole lot more incredible memories than those bad moments. I love being a dad. Am I alone here? No. I love you. Listen, I know someone who really loves being a dad. More than we could even begin to imagine. He loves being father. And so I'm going to say it again. Happy Father's Day. 
when you really understand the Father. But to do this, I want to tell a story that's quite a famed story that many of you who may be around the church for quite some time, and, and if you're new to the church, it may be a story that you've actually heard, just don't quite understand or know the whole, if you will, story. But Jesus told it a little over 2,000 years ago, and it was a story he called the prodigal son. It's a story that Charles Dickens called the most beautiful love story in all of literature, but he had a problem with it, as I do. Because most often, it becomes a story about a boy. A boy who wanted to leave home and loses his way and then comes back home. Thus, the lost is found, and then it ends there. But like me, I agree with Dickens. It never should have been called the prodigal son. It should have been called the prodigal father. And some of you might think, wait a minute here. The word prodigal has negative connotation. Actually, it doesn't when you understand its depth. For instance, the word prodigal means extravagant, unrestrained, reckless, of which our boy was in the story. He was extravagant, thinking that there's a better world out there than what he had at home. Extravagant to the fact that he took what, what was his and went out and spent it in a very luxurious way. Definitely he was unrestrained, and I think we'd all agree he was reckless. But now let me flip it like Dickens would and say, isn't that a great definition of the father's love when his boy came back? Extravagant, well over the top. Unrestrained, he held nothing back. And boy, was it reckless. And I agree, it should have been a story called The Prodigal Father. But there's this boy who has FOMO, the fear of missing out, and tells his dad, literally, if you know the story, I won't get into it, he literally tells his dad, I wish you were dead. Can I have what's mine? His dad gives the boy what is his, and the boy leaves, and for a moment, he was right. And by the way, you need to know, when you get sucked in by the voice of the enemy, for a moment, you'll always think you're right. He's having the time of his life. But if you read the story in Luke 15, you'll discover it's only for a short period of time. It always is. How many times do we have to say, it's a quick trip? And yet, how many people will fork forever and pass it over for a little moment of pleasure? It's weird, isn't it? But there's something about us but the boy discovers what you and I will all discover, and you need to know this. It's the great lie of the world. You actually think you're going to get to keep what you got. Let me say it again. I know we live in a world, especially the American dream, that somehow if we have, then we are someone. And you might have for a moment, and you might be someone only for a moment, but you will lose everything you got. There is a famine coming, and let me share with you, I hope it comes before the great famine of death, because when you get to death, it's too late. Play the game all you want. But the famine's coming just as it was to the boy. But there's something about the story that changes. Because up until this point, we keep making it about the boy, but it's really about the father. And it's to that that I want to help you. Because I find something 
unbelievably amazing, but on the floor of a pig pen, this unrestrained, this reckless, extravagant boy, the Bible says, comes to his senses. And it's a phrase that gets missed because I think it's so important to the story. It's the impregnant of the story. It's where it really comes to life. Because in Luke 15, verses 17 and 18, look what it says. When he finally came to his senses, his first thought, watch what it is, is not his failures, it's his father. Let me, let me just say it again. When the boy is at the bottom of his life, his first thought is not his failures, it's his father, which is really important to the story. And I think so many people, when it understands Christianity, don't get it. Because I hear people in the church say this to me. Pastor, you, you don't understand how bad I've been. Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. Pastor, you, you, you just don't know. I want to shout something from the cross that so many people miss. And if I could say one thing as God wants to say to you, you ready for this? Who cares? I'm going to say it again. The cross is crying to the world. Who cares? Why do you keep talking about something that I eradicated? It's because we don't get the cross. And the reason we don't get the cross is because we don't get the father. When you get the father, you'll quit talking about your past and you'll quickly then understand Easter. It's never about where you've been. It's about where he is pointing you and where you're going. Here's, here's the key you need to catch. The son left home. He's not the boy that he once was. He was home with his father. When he's coming back, he's not the boy who left. Don't miss this. But the father is still the same father. And he changeth not. Which means it's not about the boy. The story's about the dad. And the amazing things that we can learn about him. And I want you to get this. I really want you to get this. People, I've said it many times and I'll say it again. There's nothing you can do that's so bad that God will ever love you any less. And there's nothing you have to do to somehow try to get God and to earn that love a little more. God loves you, period. He changeth not. Regardless, we might be train wrecks. He's still a wonderful, good, good father. I don't want you to miss that. And so I want to tell you two things. Because this story is not how bad the son was. This story is about how great and good our father is. And I want to tell you two things about his love. His love that's just as descriptive of the boy, it is of his love, this extravagant, this reckless, 
unrestrained love that the Father gives. And here's the first thing you need to know about his love. It's a kind of love that does so much more than just watch and wait. So often people have drawn up a picture that somehow God, he just waiting, he just waiting. Listen, if that was true of who God was, you and I would not be selling East, celebrating Easter. He'd still keep the sun in heaven. There's something about the story that we, we so often miss because we don't understand the historical context by which Jesus is speaking. So much changes and it loses the power of the story. God's love doesn't just sit. It doesn't just wait. It cannot do that. It's a love that does. It's a love that moves. It's a love that meets us before we even realize we're being met. Look at the story. Verse 20. While he was still a long way off, the boy is coming back home. Now remember, if you know the story, he's not coming back thinking, I'm a son. I'm perfectly fine being a slave. At least I'll eat and live a little bit better than when I was a far, in the far country. But watch the father. The Bible says, but the father saw him. And then the father does something that gets so often missed. What does he do next? He runs. He's like, what's the big deal with that? Oh, no, 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 no. 2,000 years ago in Eastern culture, it was beneath the dignity of any father to run. In the culture of Jesus' day, when Jesus is preaching this, for a man to run, he would cease to be a man because he would have to lift the hem of his robe. He would have to hold it high enough to keep from tripping over it. In doing so, he would bare his legs, which was considered highly undignified and childish. And then you remember Jesus' words, but that's how I want you to come to heaven. <laughs> oh, we haven't changed all that much, people. Come on. We may not lift the hem of our robe, but we have a lie in our heart. You know, real men don't cry. And we now have men with calloused hearts because they bought into a lie rather than a tender one like their father. We've bought in all kinds of that stuff. We, we really get wrapped up in image in this country, don't we? And that stuff happens literally from century to century. But back in Jesus' day when Jesus told this, the Hebrew people had developed an idea of who God was, which was all wrong. And Jesus comes and flips it completely over. Turns it upside down. And he tells a story and he says, when the father saw him, when the father saw him, he ran out to meet his boy. Here's the deal. We have no idea in the story if the prodigal boy ever saw his father, but there's one thing that's crystal. The father saw him and that same father sees you right where you're at. And if you'll make a little turn towards him, he'll take off running to you. That's what kind of God he is. You see, too often, I think we treat the church 
the way mom and dads treated their children, and I'm not saying this again with any disrespect, but what do we do when our children are out playing all day, especially in the dirt? And we say, it's supper, and we tell them, come in. What's the first thing we tell them to do? Go wash up. Let me tell you, I think we do the same thing in the church, and it's dead wrong. When God says it's supper time, you don't have to clean up. You come to him because he's the one that does all the cleaning. You don't have to get ready to eat at the table. Just come and eat. See, that's the key about God and who he is. He does so much more than watch and wait. I heard it said, slow are the steps of our repentance, but swift are the feet of God's forgiveness. He's quick to forgive. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, it was the joy set before Christ. He endured the cross. Can I tell you my interpretation? He couldn't wait to get on it. You know why? Because his love for you and his love for me, he couldn't wait to get on it because he couldn't wait for us to get off it. And too many of you have been beating yourself up. You've been listening to the lies of the devil about who you're not rather than understand the incredible glorious gift of Easter of who you really are. And this is where I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Because the second thing that I read about God's amazing love, this extravagant, reckless, unrestrained love, is that it's a love that will always go far above and beyond anything you could ever think or imagine. People, I have a hard time even understanding how much God loves me. But I love trying to figure that out. I know the verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth in him should never perish but have everlasting life. I still can't get past those first few words. For God so loved me. That God so loved you. It so goes beyond and above anything I could ever comprehend. In a world that's love is so conditional, it can be so ugly, where we use it so loosely that one moment we're holding someone's hands and the next moment we're pushing them away. And to think that there's a God who would never do that. As Paul says, nothing, no height, no width, no depth, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing, nothing. It goes far above. So watch what happens because here's what I want to mess with you. Look at verses 23 through 24. Quick! Quick, he says. The boy starts his speech. He comes home and says, but dad, and dad just cuts him off. Can I give you my translation? Who cares? But dad, who cares? Quick, quick, he says. Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on my boy. Quick, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Quick. Kill the fattened calf. We must party. It's time to get down. Look what he says. For this son of mine, notice that he never stopped ceasing to be his father's boy. And I'm, I'm going to mess with some of you, especially you that say I'm a follower of Christ. And I'm, I'm going to say something that's going to mess with you, but it is biblically true. And I think there's been so many things that have been taught that God's really convicted me and saying, Keith, you need to get this right. 
That's why walking in his spirit is so important because it's more important than what he wrote, not what I think he wrote. Did you catch that? God's word is so living and active. The word of God, the Bible is so powerful. It truly is the truth that sets us free. He says, this son of mine was lost, but now he is what? Found. Here, here's what I want to mess with you. When you look in the mirror, don't shout out an answer, please. When you got up this morning and everyone who's online, some of you might be watching right now in your pajamas, okay? You've yet to been to the bathroom. Thank you for not coming. Um, but, no, but, but, but you might right now, but you're going to get in there one, one part of this day. And you're all going to look into a mirror. We've all did it this morning, didn't we? Think back through that moment. And please don't shout out your answer. My question is this, think through it. When you looked in the mirror, what did you see? Because I'm going to tell you what our prodigal father sees. What do you see? Now, again, for you that say, I'm a follower of Christ, you ready for this? Even if right now you say, I'm not a follower. I don't even know if I believe in this God stuff. I'm going to tell you, he still sees the same thing when he looks at you. He sees himself. He sees perfection. Because everything he makes is good. Can I tell you what Easter is all about? Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body. And if the eye is bad, the whole body is bad. Can I tell you what Easter is? Easter is when you finally open your eyes and see what he sees. I made a lot of sin in my life. I remember how many times I would look in the mirror, literally, and I'd weep, and I'd think, what a loser I am. But he didn't see a loser. You know what he saw? Success. He didn't see my sin. You know what he saw? My fully redeemed state. God never sees where we've been. He sees what he created. And what he creates is good. What's sad is how many people never open their eyes and even see that. That's why we go through the world and we struggle the way we struggle. It's why our marriages, we go through difficulty and needless, if you will, contention. It's why friendships if you will, fumble itself through in so many ways and many times they just part and go separate ways because we're not seeing the way God sees. When God looks at you, he sees himself. He sees exactly the gift that he gave in Christ. We, we say things like this from the pulpit. You need to invite Jesus in your heart. Can I tell you something that's biblically true? God doesn't want your heart. He doesn't want my heart. The Bible says the human heart is wicked. He doesn't want Keith's heart. He wants me to have his heart. The cross killed Keith Loy. The old is gone. And the grave said, but the new is here and it's now. And you can have it. Open your eyes. Do you not see what I see? 
That's why when he says to the disciples, he says, listen, open your eyes. The harvest is ready. But you know why the disciples couldn't see the world around that was broken? Because they couldn't get past their own. That's why Jesus said, the laborers are few. I'm the Lord of the harvest. But how do we get about the Father's business when we're still messed up in our own? He's not a God who watches and waits. He's a God who acts. Because that's what his love is. He put himself on the cross so you and I didn't have to. We were killed there. The sin is gone. That's why when you start talking about it, he's like, who cares? Why are you letting people who don't care tell you who you're not? And the grave says, but the new has come. You ready for this? I don't think that God's trying to transform us. I think he's really trying to transfigure us. See, transforming almost kind of gives it a process feel. Then makes it still about us. Well, I'm still just got a lot of work to do and stuff like that. And God's like, why are you doing the work? I already did it for you. How about you die to you, Keith, and watch what I can do. Let me show you who you really are. Not what the world told you were. Not the mistakes that you made. I'm not about those. That's why I, I sent my son to the cross. He died for those mistakes. They're gone. I want you to see the new. And it's a new that I want you to dance. I want you to live. I want you to breathe. The power of the resurrected Christ. Come on, church. Amen. The power of who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless. God bless.